This is A Strategist, episode 1058. My name is Zane Velcher. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter. Guys, okay, tell me tell me what's what's going on. You you guys have just been texting me about Bob. Who the fuck is Bob? Is Bob <laughs> the same as Dave? Are these interchangeable white person names? Tell me what the hell is going on before we get started on the show. Well, Carter? I mean, first of all, I'd like to apologize on behalf of Corey and I for pulling your Patreon subscription. Uh, but you weren't pulling your weight, and frankly... I was not pulling my weight. This is true. Frankly, we thought, you know what? Uh, with you working on the NDP campaign, we didn't want um, our ideas to go out for, for like six bucks each. We could have... We should have been getting paid on this fucking campaign is what we're trying to get across. So anyways, we brought a, We had an epic episode. Hey, Corey? Best episode ever, I'd say? I think so. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. I I heard things like... It was it was great. Yeah. Finally, questions were asked. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're killing me. Yeah. You're killing me. Questions. Let me tell you something about questions. Overrated. Well, Overrated. Underrated questions. Let me tell you something about questions, Carter. Here's overrated. Yeah, go ahead. Here's a piece of feedback I did not expect to get. I'm really glad yeah, okay. you guys answered the questions. That was something I'd never expected to hear. So. Um, <laughs> I feel like you're but, pitting me against Annalise every every show, just little, <laughs> bit by bit. Well, as soon as I'll be unemployed, which, I which mean, I'm sure is the natural conclusion of of this podcast. Zane, don't don't flatter yourself. Uh, you and Annalise is not a contest. Yeah, that's but, not uh, even close. It, not even. It close. is super uh, nice to. Yeah. The reason I bring it up is because I wanted to fucking promo the Patreon. Um, it was good. It was a good episode. Can you can you please yeah can you beyond good tell give people a bit of a teaser, Corey. And by which I mean, tell me what you did, because I have no yeah. idea. So there were there were questions that were asked. I think I mentioned that part yeah. before. Yeah, there were questions. There were, there were yeah. answers answers given. And then we I did believe. a skit. We did a skit, which was really nice. No, don't. Yeah, yeah the skit was great. You're giving away too much. I'm sorry. You're giving away too much. Skit is too much? <laughs> it was a really I heard good there was so, I, I heard there was something about signs involved. Is that is that true? Well, the name of the episode know. is Ald, Ald. No, no, it's not. That was the other episode. Oh, is that the other episode? <laughs> Jesus Christ, you're terrible. You're terrible. I, I give you softballs to just hit Listen, out of the park, Carter. Do you have any idea how much we're recording and how little you're recording? Like, we are... <laughs> these are our fingers you're, being worked to the bone. My, my yeah, throat this is, this is sore a lot of, from all the talking. Uh, this is a lot of uh, needless insight that you guys are providing on a weekly basis. Listen, I, what I, it's I getting suggest. us? A ton of media what? attention. Like, holy crap. Media whore. That's what I am. What, I, what, what media are you doing? I've gotten so much media, I'm starting to feel like you. You know? Fair enough. That's how much media. Well, this I'm is like. what happens when Zane Velji leaves space in the ecosystem. Oh, it's fantastic. When he, takes, when he takes a break. That's exactly what happens, Carter. Hey, listen. Um, I do want to talk about science, Corey Hogan. I told you I will not talk about the provincial election. As you guys have mentioned, I'm working on the NDP campaign. So I'm conflicted in, in, in a sense to, to talk about what's going on in that campaign. But Corey, I do want to talk about a very important thing. I want to talk about... The science of sign placement, because Corey, you've got some oh, thoughts. Yeah. Uh, Carter, you've got some yeah. thoughts. Uh, you've been seeing some signs being placed across the city. I'm not going to talk about what color those signs are. You guys can t- talk, talk to Annalise about that, the sign wars, etc. You may have already done so. Why would I know? How My would Patreon you know? Why would, yeah, why would you listen? But Carter, we are experiencing a trend, perhaps, or a new movement in the sign game. Uh, it is now the, should the sign face the outside of the road, or should it be placed sideways so it captures both sides of traffic? Uh, this seems to be a a debate that I'm about to really try to put some energy into, Carter. Uh, are you also witnessing what Corey Hogan has witnessed, which is the the great, perhaps, remaking of the science of, of signs? Yeah, so what I've done is I've prepared a PowerPoint. 
because um, okay, I assume you've. Uh, uh, so what I've done is hopefully I, it isn't as bad as your last PowerPoint hey, that hey, you prepared hey, for hey, the show. Hey, Just so you know. hey, hey, none of that. So as you know, um, we have uh, differing opinions. Corey is of the sign facing the road, and I am of the um, ninety degree variety. 90 degrees to the road so that people passing by on a sidewalk or on the roadway. Are you actually in that variety of lawn sign placement? Yeah. So here's the thing. I'm actually showing you my PowerPoint right now, but it is 90 degrees to you too. So you can't see it. Um, whereas if, you know, if you were driving past, you'd be able to see the actual That's a very PowerPoint. long walk for a very weak joke. Just so you know. Okay. Just go ahead, please. <laughs> yeah. That was, uh, in, uh, in terms of payoff, it did not pay off. It did not pay off. You know what? Carter, but yes. They're Please not keep all going. going to you. You should have been with us on Thursday or Tuesday. All of our jokes paid off. Hey, Corey, like mm-hmm. we didn't have one miss, not one miss the whole episode. That's what you get when you you pay six bucks. You get you yeah. get the A game. This is this is yeah. me just phoning it in. By the way, yeah, phoning Corey, it in. Are we entering a new era, as Taylor Swift would say, um, on on sign placement, on the science of sign placement? We are seeing signs all around us in our province. Is it a new era, Corey? Well, here's the thing. There are roads that people walk on and there are roads that people drive on. And there are houses that are set back and there are houses that are right up at the property line. And it's very contextual. So if you're on a thoroughfare where everybody's going 60 kilometers an hour, yeah, you want to put those signs on the on the perpendicular like Stephen's talking about. But if you're in kind of an older, more established inner city neighborhood, traffic is going 40 kilometers at most. You know, you're not actually able to put the sign close to the road because it's set back. There's a sidewalk. Then there's the property line. Then you got to think about it in those terms. And you got to put you got to do with the sign what the sign wants to do. You got to let the universe tell you what the proper sign placement is. Carter, Corey, uh, giving a very reasoned answer seems very thoughtful. Uh, Why is he dead wrong? (laughs) <laughs> well, I'll you know, tell you why. Because even someone who's walking by doesn't necessarily want to turn their head and look at your house, right? Like, all of a sudden, now they look like they're looking through your window. They want to be able to look and just look forward and be able to see the sign on the 90-degree perpendicular. I will concede that you need to place the sign in the right place, uh, but the right place is never... What a concession. What a concession. Oh, you know what? That's, that's uh, can I just good. channel the audience I do for agree. a second? Can I? The, the, the Corey, Corey, I have to... Just, well, before you channel the okay. audience, which, by the way, you've done... I'm just um, going to channel the audience here in a second. Zero service to in the past. Yeah. You, you and the audience are so misaligned. <laughs> <laughs> they're not thinking no, what you're thinking. Are, I'll get back they to They are thinking exactly what I'm thinking. I'm going to channel the audience here's, for you. Here's an argument, here's an argument um, for Carter's uh, sign placement. Uh, strategy, which uh, Carter, what would you call that? Would you call that a nine? What was is, is the ninety degrees? It perfect. What was what was the term? It's that you, the ninety degree. It's label. the ninety degree. The rule. ninety degree. Yeah, ninety degree. Rule. Right. Why do you face a sign out front where you can see the other side? Do you need to be reminded yeah, who exactly. you're voting for on a daily basis if you look out your window? Why? I don't understand that. The argument, the argument should be that both sides of traffic, foot or car or whatever other, uh, other sort of uh, scooter, uh, should be able to see both sides of the side. I, I'm with Carter on this one. Carter, please go uh, inappropriately and incorrectly channel the audience. Go ahead. Uh, do it. Right now, uh, if you're a loyal strategist listener, what you're thinking to yourself is they're surely not going to make 90 minutes or 80 you know, an hour out of 
<laughs> out of sign placement. And I, I mean, there's a chance. There's, there's a it, chance. There's a chance. If there was one person able to do it, it's uh, it's it's he's back. Yeah, and I, I he's here, <laughs> and he's very bored talking about federal politics because there's so much shit he can't talk about. Yeah, no, this is so great. Talking about this is great. The stuff. science of sign science placement. of sign placement. No, our audience right uh, now is growing by the minute. Growing by. Can the I minute. tell you? Yeah, tell, let tell me, us. Court. Let me just say this. Tell, I tell think, us. Tell us what you like. Are you staring out your window right now, looking at a, at a sign, telling us this? No, I'm. I'm sitting in my basement, looking at a TV that has been on for four months because I forgot where the remote is and I don't know how to turn it off physically. You should turn it perpendicular so you can. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I. Ninety percent of the time, perpendicular is going to be what makes sense. Um, also, I'll remind you all. Hey, this is going to blow your mind. There are Do options it. between Blow zero degrees and 90 no, degrees. No, Like, you can disagree. Also, the, disagree. Yeah. Absolutely and fundamentally disagree. It's a science. That's why we call it the science of sign of placement. Of sign placement. Yeah, this is... Yeah. Okay. This is not right. art. This is not a philosophy. Oh, my God. This is not a home All economics right. of sign placement. Yeah, keep going. Go ahead. So, so those two things, I think, need to be put on there. Well, one I'm of them is saying... wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. Okay, let me ask you this. <laughs> I'm going to give you a thought exercise that shows you that perp- – so campaign managers love perpendicular because they can get that shot, which is also what they want when people are driving by of sign, 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 yeah. sign. Yes. Right? Yes. yes, yes, yes. But I think we can agree, like if you're a house at the end of a cul-de-sac, you're probably not going to put a perpendicular. Sure you will. Right? You're going to want it. Sure you on. will. First of all, sure those people will. shouldn't get signs Come on. Anyways. Because Come a cul de sac. The most, of a cul de sac. You have, tr- you have taken such an absurd position. Every now, single time. Because you know ridiculous. why? People walk past the cul-de-sac. Exactly. People uh, loop the cul-de-sac. No, nobody, nobody loops people the cul-de-sac. People loops the cul-de-sac. People That's, fucking loop nobody, the cul-de-sac all the time. Nobody loops the cul-de-sac. Everyone fucking loops the cul-de-sac. When I was in, how okay. do you walk and drive? When I was, uh, what, what would you? I oh, fuck what an idiot. I'm just. I'm getting. Go you know what? When I was in Surrey, I'm so upset with you both right now. When yeah. I was in Surrey, we had. I, I was living. You know, Drop facts, Carter. I was Drop living in a, in a basement suite, as you know. We we saw lots of shots of it from the uh, when we were recording the podcast. At the end of the cul-de-sac that I was on, there was a not just a sign, but a a four foot sign, a four foot sign, and I didn't complain about anything except the fact yes. that it was placed, uh, you know, facing the the end of the street, like Corey wants. Like that's it's, like it was bullshit. Now, it was, the this of, is probably why we lost person, that fucking election. This is probably why agree. we lost the whole election right there. Okay, and I like Let I like that you... you stayed in your lane as campaign manager and did not actually <laughs> change the change no, the orientation. I, mean, I didn't have any tools. I like that. There was no there was no <laughs> yeah. way I was going to do. It. I like that right. about you. I like Let that me give you me. another scenario where maybe you wouldn't, because I think the audience, I'm not even going to argue with you two chuckle bucks that. here. Obviously, chuckle it's got to be head on. Carter, how many times do you go into a cul-de-sac and you go like, I'm going to go 80 in this cul-de-sac, whip around, look at some lawn signs, and then just come right you know back what? out? I do this all the fucking time. As, <laughs> as often as I get called a chuckle fuck. Like, this is... <laughs> All right. Keep, keep going. Okay, give us another thought I'll experiment. Gi- Let me give you Fucking another useless thought experiment here. Okay. Stephen Carter in that basement apartment, yeah. uh, that tenement that he was in. Illegal, by yeah. the way. Where would you... Yeah. Where? Oh, <laughs> great. Sounds like a great campaign. Yeah, great campaign. Um, where would you put a sign if you were in an apartment or in a basement suite? Yeah. Where would it go? You put it in the window, right? You put it. You're not w- going to put it perpendicular, are you? I wouldn't even give. I wouldn't even give them the Coroplast sign, though. The Coroplast sign has value attached to it, Corey. I mean, you probably never had to pay for a real campaign. Oh, come off! But you've you, you've not lived in the inner city in a long time. You, you People give them will just a zip piece tie of, those things to their balcony. Yeah, you give them paper. Well, if you're going on the balcony, then you can get a, a Coroplast. But 
You know, so like this these, is my point. This is, there's a it lot of rules. It is possible. There's a lot Amen. of rules. It is possible. So many. A lot of balconies. A lot of balconies have three sides, and you could put them perpendicular if you wanted, but you don't because the closer it is to the building, the more it makes sense to put the thing head on. Mm-hmm. The more it makes sense. No, no one. It's thinks- all contextual. You got to look at these things. You got to have your brain on when you're out there doing oh. signs. Don't don't listen to Stephen no, Zane. No, you don't need your brain on because it's no, a science. It's a science. And <laughs> science is rule-based, Corey, and all signs go perpendicular. Uh, Carter, right. um, Corey makes a really good point about the apartment signs. Why Why is he uh, Why is he wrong? Well, because most of the people in apartments are going to complain that their condo board or whatever they're in won't let them put up a sign, and that's just not even true. You, you get the opportunity to express yourself, and if they want to take fines against you, take those fuckers to court. Because, uh, you know, you, you get the opportunity to express yourself in election. This is uh, well, here's, fundamental. That's actually the public service part. Yeah, public. You are allowed to put a sign up, yeah. a, a, like a reasonably sized sign as a renter. If that is your property, if like you are renting that property, you can put a sign up, yeah. no matter what your landlord No matter what your landlord says, you get the opportunity to put a sign up. And if they, if they try and give you a hard time, call the strategists, uh, 1-800-THE-STRATEGISTS, and Corey that's and I- our number. It's good. Corey and I will <laughs> Keep going. Yeah, represent you. I mean, don't you. give them our real number because we're not going to answer your call. But uh, you know what? Yeah. I mean, really, we don't. We don't answer the Patreon. We don't answer. Like, why would they you get can, the impression? Like, it's in the ele- It's in the Election Act. Yeah, somewhere. Somewhere. I'll I'll find you the clause. Yeah, I'll find. Okay, you here's, the clause. here's what we're going to do. Uh, Corey, um, available shortly on the Strategist.ca. Perpendicular lawn signs. Okay, these will be <laughs> sheets these of paper. Will be blank perpendicular. Yeah. They're actually going to be blank lawn signs. Okay, that you can buy, but they only go perpendicular. So, Corey, uh, we'll make sure that that uh, appears on the Strategist.ca. Um, all proceeds go to the Strategist uh, podcast. Carter, let's move it on to our first segment. Yes, I can only do 13 minutes oh. on lawn signs, not 90. <laughs> our first segment. Calgary Center's native son, he is back, Carter. Nice. The man, the myth, the legend. He ran in the by-election in Calgary Center. Or was it Edmonton Center? Who knows? But he ran, Carter, and he did not win. You know who I'm talking about, Carter? Yeah, of course. I heard it on a podcast. you said, Mark Carney, I went back and I went back to my podcast library. Well, and I I knew Mark Carney is our guy here. Yeah, Mark is back. He's in the political Well, I didn't news. say Mark Carney. I don't know who I meant. I just said, do you know who I'm talking about? You said as soon as you said Mark Carney. But that's fine. I am talking about Mark Carney. Holy shit. Because Stephen Carter. I just am that too. We are entering. You? Wow. You just say we're, we're on a, you we're guys. On a different level. Yeah. We're on a different level. Perpendicular long sign, guys. That's, that's who we are, Corey. That's right. Corey, Mark Carney is back. He is back in the media. He's back doing interviews. He was on Vashi Capello's last, last Sunday. You might be asking, why is this important? Why does this matter? Well, we have done one episode in the past. I'm not going to do an entire episode, but there's enough time has lapsed that it is probably worthwhile to get back to our buddy Mark. Our Uh, buddy Mark is now going to be attending, Carter, the Liberal Convention, the convention in Ottawa that is happening as we speak, that is kicked off from this Thursday heading into the weekend. He's talking about the fact, listen, I'm going to be there. His name is floated back in media. You know, this is a guy who's been uh, touted by by folks like Tom Mulcair and others as the future of the Liberal Party. Many folks inside still excited about what a Mark Carney candidacy could be. We, uh, you know, have have stories, anecdotal and otherwise, of how he was almost going to run for it back in uh, 2014 uh, in the Trudeau era, and his name keeps being floated and floated and floated. Carter and Tom uh, and 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 people like Tom Mulcair and others keep writing about it, and people like Mark Carney himself keep showing up and showing up and showing up. 
Carter, we got to talk about what he's up to. We got to talk about what he's doing right, what he's doing wrong. He's going on the listening tour at the convention. Oh, God. His name's back in the media. We have to talk about a Mark Carney strategy. Carter, let's start with the fact that this guy, though the fact that I know him a bit, I like him, um, seems to keep popping up and then not doing anything. Is my read correct that Mark Carney perhaps might be wearing the patience thin on folks that may want his candidacy to go? Or is this good strategy? Pop up every now and then, assess if it's the right time, duck back undercover, wait six months, a year, come back. What, what, is this good strategy, or is Mark Carney starting to uh, earn a reputation for himself in some way? No, this is good strategy. I mean, he wants to be seen. Uh, there's been no campaigns. It's not like he's, he's threatened to run for the leadership and then not run since, you know, since Justin Trudeau became the leader because hasn't been any leaderships. Um, you know, he popped up prior to the last election. We thought maybe he was going to run in Edmonton Centre. Certainly that's what we heard on a podcast. And <laughs> that that gave us was it Edmonton Center? It was Edmonton yes. Center. Yeah, yes. yeah. The 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 point of the of him popping back and forth, and the point of um, you know articles being written about him is he hasn't made up his mind yet. He is not sure. Does he want this? Does he not want this? I'll tell you something. You can't do it if you don't have your name in the game. And he's keeping his name in the game. But what was interesting is that he keeps his name in the game without being offensive or an affront to the current office holder. You know, he he talked about how he supported Justin Trudeau. He's not, you know, coming at this from an adversarial sense. He's coming in being Mr. Nice Guy. I'm going because I think they're doing the right thing. Um, you know, rather than coming in with guns blazing, it's time for a new leader, which we saw I, I guess not. We, I don't think we've ever seen it in the Liberals quite that um, publicly, but the Liberals do have a little bit of a history of, of taking out their leaders um, uh, the same way I would suggest as the uh, as the old PC party here in Alberta. Corey, good strategy that he keeps popping up every six to eight months, does one of those sit down on the Sunday shows or a, a, a PNP interview kind of, you know, uh, around perhaps a major moment, a major policy, in this case, a convention this weekend in Ottawa. He says things like, and I'll get to into some of his comments, because I think the way he answered a few of them are interesting. But top line, popping in and out, good strategy? Or are you wearing patience thin and just kind of like annoying people that you're not actually moving anything forward after the, 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 the sort of secret is out, buddy, that you want this job? Yeah, um, well, if, if that is what it is, I think the strategy's okay. I don't feel exactly the way Stephen does about it. I'll, I'll say this. It, it is a classic, like, if you don't know where you're going, you might end up someplace else. And if he actually wants to be leader of the Liberal Party and Prime Minister someday, I can understand some of the moves he's made. But if he's just looking for, like, the the stroke, then some of them make a little bit less sense. But the reason why I don't feel exactly the same way Stephen mm. does is, is it's not as though since uh, Justin Trudeau became Prime Minister, there haven't been opportunities for Mark Carney to get more deeply involved in politics. In the game in some way. He could have run. He could have participated in some way, shape, or form. And that does seem like an obvious precursor that that is just not occurring at this particular moment here. But yeah, I mean, there are so many examples of people who just love being asked to run, and when they're not asked for a while, show up and make you want to ask them again we've talked about it on the pod before bernard lord is a famous mm-hmm. one uh pc you know premier of new brunswick um frank mckenna a famous one oh, yeah. somebody 
who, uh, you know, was always like allegedly going to run, never ran. And, you know, history is littered with these people, the people that you think maybe they could do it, but they never actually pull the trigger. And a lot I of guess, the time. Yeah, go ahead, Corey. Keep going. Keep going. Well, a lot of the time they look, let's put it this way. Nothing will get you kind of adulation like politics. You'll get loathed too, but you'll have like people who treat you like a cult leader. Right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, nothing mm-hmm. gets you the adulation like politics but if you're that kind of guy or gal a lot of things will get you more money than politics and so they want to have kind of both ways sometimes i'm not saying this is what mark carney's doing but like, oh sure it is but, the there's, sure no, but it there's something to your there's something to your point though right like this is this guy's done really fucking well for himself everyone knows that right well credentialed goldman sachs you know governor of bank of canada england right like all that shit now running yeah. a multi-billion-dollar sort of investment firm for Brookfield, like it's it's it is an incredible resume. Yeah. At the same time, like there is that balance. I'm going to take your point and maybe extend it a bit, Corey. Around like this is a guy who's made so much money that Carter, can you get away with looking at the job of prime minister kind of on the downward slope rather than up at it as an ambition? You know what I'm trying to say? Like, is this like it, for someone like him? Is that not a political problem that he has, that that he's kind of almost inherently with his success, he may think that he's looking at prime minister as perhaps a downgrade rather than an upgrade uh, in certain ways? And how does that translate to to an electorate with someone with the what maybe we can call the Ignatia for in this case, like specifically the Carney problem? Yeah, I mean, I think that you know, having more money than, than God himself or herself will, will be a bit of a, of an anchor. But on the other hand, it does give you so much freedom, right? And he's got that freedom. Now I do think that serving as an MP, he would have seen as a step down. I do not think that serving as the prime minister is going to be seen as a step down for him. Uh, You know, we've talked about the power that you have. Unless he enters a race in that particular way though, right? Like there could be a risk that someone with his background... You don't think no, so? I mean, he's going to get oh, hammered that, that, for the being political, rich, but that's it. No, but don't you think the political risk is that this guy looks at the job of PM kind of like stuffs his nose at it in some way? No. Don't you think that's a risk? Maybe you guys both disagree. Because the no, power I think is it's, legit. I think it's a risk. Powers because of, no, but 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 uh, you can't necessarily obtain it the same way you obtain your next meritocratic, in that sense, credential or your next sort of professional success. Corey, jump in on this. Yeah. Let me say this. I, I don't think he would even necessarily... You know what? He would see it as a step down. And no. I think that is a problem. Like, yes. No. What it is, is it's more like... I don't think like, he'd ever say it. Hey, hey, I don't think he'd ever say it, Stephen. But I think that realistically, he would think the problem with politics right now is people like me don't run and people like me don't do these jobs because these jobs are so shitty and so crummy. But I am going to be the savior of the Liberal Party and the country by me, this guy who's done all of these things that are so much better running for prime minister. I I think that there is going to be a bit of that energy with it. I I, Frankly, I think that Michael Ignatieff's problem was a lot of that, too. Right. Like, here I am, this brilliant international academic. And I'm going to come back and do this job because, you know, that's that's my service. Like, you're welcome. Right. Canada, here you go. You're welcome. And that's a bit of a risk for anybody who's got Mark Carney's biography, which is really, really impressive, as we've already said. Yeah, I mean, you're and you're not going to pull up. It, it would be entirely ridiculous for him to pull up in an F one fifty, right? Like he's he's not going to be in a position where he can remake. <laughs> no. So he's going to, you know, maybe he starts driving himself, you know. But but he's always going to be dealing with the problem of, 
you know, he's made all this money and we used to look to these people to serve, right? You made all these money. We'd like you now to give back. That used to be kind of this, this old kind of model that, that was thought of maybe not, maybe it hasn't really been in place uh, in like 50 years, but this is a model that we used to think about. And now we've walked so far away from it. I'm not sure it's a viable model, but I think that if anybody's going to do it, it's going to be Mark Carney. Yeah, I, you know what? The, the reality is he is also very rich. And one of the reasons, and we talked about this, God, years ago at this yeah. point, before mm-hmm. the election, I thought that if he actually wanted to be prime minister, he should run because he'll understand if as, he actually an likes, yeah. likes the job and if he's any good at it, right? Um, we talk about you know committee appearances, maybe not taking the right energy, all of that, because it's just a different role and different expectations. And some shithead's going to jump down your throat in a political way, and you're going to muse about things in a non-political way, and that's going to get you into trouble. And so it's very dangerous as well to jump from a job like he's had like or the job that he has currently into a job like prime minister there's appeal there's people who have done the transition successfully i mean brian mulrooney obviously comes to mind as somebody who was a business leader who jumped in but that that is often the exception not the rule and it is something that you need you need to do the reps on like you've got to know how to talk to a crowd in a town hall setting and look not totally out of touch like i immediately think of in uh, the show 30 Rock, when Jack Donaghy is talking about, let's say the grocery concierge told you a five pound bag of potatoes was, I don't know, $200, right? And <laughs> I, I worry that Mark Carney would give off some of that energy because he's just so rich and so above it. His life is not like everybody else's life. And that doesn't mean he can't understand everybody else's life, but it means he's got to put in the work to understand everybody else's life. And he's got to expose himself to politics on a more retail level before he decides I'd be a great prime minister. Carter, you know, <clears throat> the question I have for, for anyone running for, for to become the next liberal leader, assuming Justin Trudeau is not doing it, which is obviously not a given, right? No, it's like, totally it's, a it's given. Not a given. It's however, happening. However, He's stepping you have down, folks, for sure. You have like folks like Champagne, just like running around the country, energetic, buzzy. Yeah. You know, people find him to be, to be entertaining, uh, witty. Uh, you have folks like Carney who kind of pop in, in, in and out of it. Um, at the end of the day, like, how would you and what advice would you give as a campaign strategist, Carter, political mind, to someone who says, well, <clears throat> maybe now's not my time if the country is going to just swap governments? Corey, you've said this often, right? People change governments just to change governments. And if this is looking like a change election, do I even put myself out there? Uh, is the Liberal Party a poison chalice? Or is it just Justin Trudeau that it, once he's removed, it's still a very effective vehicle? What advice would you give someone with the change might be on the horizon um, mantra in mind? Whether that's a Carney or a Champagne or whatever. And, and Champagne's just like, fuck it, I'm part of this government. I'm going to own that and I'm just going to do it. Uh, and it's an open secret. But for someone like Carney more, in more particular, someone on the outside looking in who might have to think about this in a more three-dimensional way, if the question is really what I, I posed around... If it's a change election, buddy, do I even even think about it this round or just kind of hold my hold my cards for another half decade? Well, I mean, if you hold your cards for another half decade, you turn into 
into uh, Bernard Lord. You know, the these great candidates that just the situation's never quite right. Uh, there is no, we're never perfect for them to jump. Yeah, in, right? I mean, and and how many times have we seen a new leader come in and all of a sudden the change election becomes a status quo election? I mean, you have to believe that you are the recipe that society is looking for uh, to change the entire uh, course of our history. If you want to run to be the prime minister, that has to be the way you're thinking. And if you're not thinking that way, then don't run. But, you know, I think Mark Carney would be thinking that way. I think that Mark Carney has a sense of self that is probably, uh, well, let's just say that it probably rivals even, even Corey Hogan's. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's a fairly significant... Let's not go nuts, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, it could yeah. happen. I mean, it's not, it's not likely, but it could happen. And if that was the case, then, you know, you got to run because if you believe that you're better, if you believe that you offer a vision that the country needs... Um, then you're then you're not serving your country by not offering that vision, and you know what um, you could lose, and losing in that situation after a change election isn't bad because now you're in a great spot where, you know, the person who did win and wasn't able to to pivot and have the full change, that person's now, you know, um, out of out of the job, and you've got another opportunity to go for it. So I say, you know, take the opportunity. Always reach for the brass ring. This is one of my arguments with Michelle Rempel. I always thought she should have run, and at the very least, have been a um, a kingmaker because there's there's lots of ways to quote unquote win a leadership. What? Well, how does that change? Make sure you know, Corey. I'm going to give you a full crack at the answer, but Carter, let me follow up with you. Then, how does that change for someone like Mark Carney, who's always used to winning? Life has just been like a series of, of, of W's for someone like that, at least on paper. Yeah. Like, can how do you stomach a, a potential public L if you're someone like him? What, what advice would you kind of give to someone who maybe even have that, says that with his inside voice, maybe not with his outside voice? I mean, first of all, it's not like we're sitting here with, uh, with Justin Trudeau, you know, having suffered many losses aside from his, his brother in the avalanche, you know, like that, that of course was a tremendous family loss, but I mean, the guy was born with a silver spoon in his mouth and, and, and hasn't taken it out for uh, a few decades here. So why, you know, the people, you know who the people are that run the people who don't lose Um, people who lose are sitting in a backbench or they're, you know, talking on some podcast uh, what, what do you mean? I don't know if I under I don't understand the point. What do you, What do you mean? What I mean is that in order to run for prime minister, you probably haven't suffered a lot of life setbacks. You're not sitting there going, "Oh man, if only I had, if only the the really pretty girl in high school decided to date me, I'd be in a totally different spot." And you know, the people who run to become prime minister are not serial failures. They are people who tend to succeed and failing at this level may be their first failure that's that's how they got there that's how they got the ego that enables them to think i've always said you know like when you choose to run for council what you're doing is you're saying there is a stadium full mcmahon stadium is full of people and i have decided that i'm going to be your leader right that is not a normal thing now if you're running to be prime minister it's the entire fucking country 30 Uh you know 40 million people and you're going to say, I've got the answers. These people aren't normal. They, they aren't normal. And they haven't suffered setbacks like you or I. Uh, I mean, Corey hasn't either. But, um, you know, regular people don't run to be prime minister. And that's, 
actually one of the things I think that makes the case strongest for uh, for um, for Mark Carney because uh, he's not a regular person. I want I want to go back to this concept of suffering setbacks. But Corey, I want to give you a shot at the same question. You are the, of course, the proponent of the contextual lawn sign strategy. <laughs> are you also the proponent of the contextual run when it benefits you, run when you understand the full opportunity strategy? Well, yeah, I, 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 there's it's a little of both, and and it is actually deeply contextual, right? You have to decide is is this the moment you go for the full brass ring? If I were Mark Carney, I would be thinking maybe I don't run in the next leadership, but I run to be an MP and position myself in the next one. So there's still that forward momentum. If there is really like big momentum around you when you announce you're running, maybe an opportunity presents itself and maybe you take it. But there's a sequencing that that both makes sense and is probably advantageous to you. And you do have to play the course, right? Like you've got to You've got to understand what the hell is going to be going on here and what's likely to happen in an election. Doesn't mean he won't run. Doesn't mean he won't win if there's an election coming up. But, uh, you know, there are a lot of options available to you. And there's a good chance that no matter what you do, Pierre Polyev is going to wake up as prime minister one day just because that's that's how it often goes. But, you know, on this on this question of like success and failure and whether it whether it's something that you know, you cannot know failure or you're unlikely to have to get to this level. I kind of disagree with that. I just look at some ready examples around us here. Um, our our uh, current premier in Alberta sure knew an awful lot of failures before she was our premier. Yeah, right? look how well that's serving us. Yeah, our potential next premier could be our potential last premier, which would also have been a failure when she lost in 2019. It's possible to lose and then win, and it's possible to set yourself up for a long game without sitting on the bench. Uh, Julius Caesar thought he was a failure until he was like, until the Gallic Wars, essentially. Like, he thought he had just screwed up life. It's possible to have a second act that's more impressive than your first. Uh, Abe Lincoln, of course, is another famous one who failed, 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 and then succeeded. Diefenbaker failed, then succeeded. It these are happens. Great, these are great examples, Corey, but I guess the Carney example, what's interesting to me is that this one is someone who, at least on paper, not knowing the full sort of context of the bio, is someone who succeeded, 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 succeeded. And to keep that record pristine, how do you kind of convince someone that you get in the game and an L doesn't end the whole thing? You know, oh, so that, that I think is really interesting lose, right? to me. Yeah. I, so I feel so strongly that what he actually needs is an L. Right? There's really? A, you yeah, think an L a, would be like a humbling of some sort? I, no, not even that. It's not like he personally needs it. But we always say politics is about storytelling. And yeah. nobody wants the story with like the Mary Sue character who never loses and wins at everything. Like there's got to be an arc to Mark Carney. And it's actually fairly compelling to me to be like, yeah. And so I went into this thing. And I thought I knew what politics was, and I fell on my fucking face, and I looked like a bit of a fool. But you know what? I entered it for the right reasons. So I dusted myself off. I got back up. I decided then I was going to go, and I was going to run as an MP and do this thing right, and I was going to move forward. And now I'm ready here on my second go to make this happen. Or, or whatever. If you, if you fail, right? But I think that failure could be a powerful That's- part of his story. That's interesting. Carter, do you think that would add a bit of, lack of a better term, texture or a bit of narrative that currently seems uh, perhaps lacking in a sense of connectivity, especially how you phrase it, right? This is person, someone who may not necessarily live like us or kind of uh, go through life uh, like us in, in some way. Yeah, I mean, I think that Corey's painted a, a, a very interesting picture. I don't think that he needs to, to fall down in order to to uh, to carry that picture. I mean, I remember uh, Jim Prentice's campaign for leader 
and of the PCs in what is that 2004 somewhere around there. Um, you know, we had a picture oh, federally, of, yeah, yeah, we had a picture of him and he, and he lost, uh, which was not, you know, he, he was not accustomed to losing, but, uh, we had a picture of him when he was a coal miner as a young man. Uh, you know, that was on his campaign, uh, stuff just to show people that, you know, while he had made something of himself, while he had succeeded, I think beyond most people's wildest dreams, um, you know, he still had that those roots. And I think you could see that even with Carney because Carney's still got things to pull from. I mean, he comes from Edmonton. Uh, that's got to hurt. Um, you know, so he's... Uh, <laughs> Shots fired at like our biggest market. That's nice. Yeah. Well, they understand. Uh, they understand. We need less of them. Uh, I, yeah. We need less Edmonton. More, more Calgary, <laughs> less Edmonton. Uh, Corey, you're currently our most Edmonton guy, so... Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, soon available in the strategist.ca shop, uh, Mark Carney perpendicular lawn signs. Uh, they're going to be handwritten that. on Sharpie. We should just going to write yeah. them on Sharpie. And then you could just, uh, you can insert what year and what uh, he runs for liberal leader. So it actually becomes very convenient for you to perpendicularly put in your cul-de-sac home. Uh, Corey, uh, <laughs> I have to ask you this. Uh, a couple of questions about how he answered, I think are interesting. So I want to almost get into messaging strategy. Yeah. Like, uh, because uh, Vashi Capellos uh, gave him some, eh, some softballs. And I felt like he didn't hit them out of the park as well as he could. And and I'm, I'm, I'm putting my thumb on the scale here, but I'm curious from your perspective. So one of the questions for him at the end of the interview was whether he thinks Trudeau should lead the liberals against Polyev in the next election. He said, I support the prime minister. When pushed again, he said, I support the prime minister. Corey, as a political messaging strategist as a communication strategist when asked that question as someone who openly open secret especially in the Ottawa bubble that you want that job one day what would a better answer have been for mark carney so the question being do, do you think justin trudeau, trudeau should, should lead the liberals in, against should Pierre lead Paul the liberals election? in the next election and i think was, it's uh, i think it's going to take all of us to stop pierre polyev in the next election we are all going to need to work to stop this. And that means staying united as a team. Uh, that I'm enthusiastic to do that. And that's uh, exactly why I'm going to this liberal convention. And that's why, uh, you know, we we are going to, you know, stand together against this guy. And of course, we have to stand together, Vashi. Yeah. The- uh, follow follow-up question. Um, but, but should Justin Trudeau be, be the leader of the party? Should be the individual toe-to-toe against Pierre Polyev? I, I, you got the team question, but, but Mark... Yeah. You know, and and the media loves to play it this way, like it's one person versus one person, but it's not. The difference between the liberals and the conservatives is the liberals are a team, which is what draws it to me. And Justin Trudeau is the leader of that team. Justin Trudeau brought the party from third place party back into government in 2015. He's a man of immense political talents, and it's going to take all of us to beat Pierre Polyev in the next election. Carter Vashi Capellos asks Mark Carney, do you support the Prime Minister Justin Trudeau leading the Liberals against Pierre Polyev next election? What do you say? I say yes, absolutely. And actions speak louder than words. I'm going to the uh, Liberal Convention with this particular leader in charge because he has already indicated, he's already said it publicly, I don't have to say anything, he said it publicly, that he's going to be leading the Liberal Party into the next election to defeat Pierre Polyev. That's the basis under which I'm actually going to the convention. So my actions are telling you what the outcome is already. I'm expecting Justin Trudeau to lead us into the next election, and I'll be there standing right by his side. 
Carter, so, uh, go, go ahead. And let's dissect this. Actually, you know what? Before yeah. we actually dissect it, I've got, I've got a follow up. Go ahead, Corey. Yeah. So I actually, your answer is the safer one for sure. And it's the answer that you absolutely must give if you're in the cabinet or the caucus. But Mark is in neither. And so Mark has a little bit more latitude to get get a little fucky with it. Yeah, but I don't want and him just to kind of play some games. I don't want how, him how in that space. If I'm running that campaign, I want him to be straight and narrow and to be proving that he's a team player. This is interesting. Let me let me pose you another answer he gave to the to the first time on this question, right? Because I just read you that I support the prime minister sort of main line from it. But here's what else he had to say. I think the government's on the right track. You know, we're the best country in the world. We can always improve. The party can always improve. The world is changing. And so I'm attending to provide support to the government and to the prime minister. The question was really about, same question. Do you support Justin Trudeau against Pierre Polyev in the next election? Um, how, Corey, would you have advised him Hindsight is always twenty twenty. This is an unfair exercise, but we don't have to be. We're fair. not. We're I, mean, fucking sort of. I, I didn't. I didn't watch the interview, so yeah, I'm we're, we're coming at this. From too, there you right? go. No. Okay. So I get it. You're better than Marconi yeah. doing this whole fucking. Yeah. Okay. I get it. Yeah. Uh, Corey Hogan lawn signs will be available. <laughs> Straightforward. One side only, because that's all that matters. That's the only real estate Corey wants to use on his lawn sign. Um, Corey, how, what would you have? What would you have said? Because there was a contrast piece here. Pure Polyev was brought into the question. Like, do you go after Polyev? And the most specific question is, how do you have the range of motion that a Mark Carney could or should to tackle that question where you can say, you know, here's the things I care about? Like, would you have talked about, here's the three or four things I care about, and that's why I support the government. Here's what they've done, things that are aligned potentially to your leadership ambitions. Um, You know, would you have kind of gone more fucky like you had been like more snipey? Uh, What would you have kind of done with that with that? A template, perhaps building off what what Mark said and iterating on on it, or perhaps throwing it out all out. No, I think I listen. At its core, it's a good answer. It's to say Canada is a great place. This government's a great government. Can Canada improve? Sure. Can this government improve? Sure. Improvement is always possible. And I think that pursuit of improvement is what makes the Liberal Party special. When you think about the Conservative Party, it's always about tearing things down, going backwards, getting defensive. But I'm excited to be part of a team that's interested in a big, open, optimistic Canada. One that, by the way, leads international rankings across the board. So you ask me, am I there for the Prime Minister? Am I there against Pierre Polyev? Yes and yes, uh, because at its core, I'm a Canadian who wants Canada to continue to do great things on the world stage. Carter, your your thoughts on that Carney answer, and then we'll move on from the segment. I think it was a a, weak, a weaker answer than I would have than I would have wanted, and and I'll tell you why. Um, I think that he has he's going to be accused of being the next Paul Martin if it starts to feel like like he's taking down this uh, this government. And, and no one wants that. I mean, because if you do get elected, I mean, the, the liberals might be as united today as they have been in, in generation um, because they, ha- they, they don't have the heir apparent waiting in the wings or two heir apparents waiting in the wings. But yeah. they do have people who are capable waiting in the wings. And that's, that's what you want. So what I'd like to see is full-throated enthusiasm for this leader. Under the expectation and the expectation that I have personally is that Justin Trudeau will not make it to the next election. So if, if that is, if my theory is correct, then what do you lose by giving him that full-throated, uh, you know, that full-throated um, support? And if, well, and if you- he doesn't, uh, and if he does, then you're already in a great spot because you've already said that you supported him from the beginning. So... 
Is, isn't the risk card isn't the risk carter that you by endorsing the prime minister that that clip is saved that you you kind of own all his baggage for the last decade that you really you know you kind of you get you get rid of him but you still look like a supporter of the guy is is, is that just too overblown um, a political fear in that regard because because that nervousness that anxiety always exists like right one of the reasons he probably has taken this rather than full-throated approach this is not a guy who can't communicate right but he's taken this measured approach probably for that clipability in the future or probably for some sort of like well I don't want to tie myself too much to the prime minister given all his baggage and given the fact that this could be a change election etc cetera, etc cetera. you can get in your head that way or you could call that strategy but Carter your response to that yeah I mean no because you know you you, you know everything you say can be clipped and used against you in a court of public opinion but sure I, I don't think that that's the way you need to approach these things I think the way that you need to approach these things is what is my long-term goal? My long-term goal is to become the prime minister. What are the obstacles that I have that are standing in my way? Oh, there currently is this a is prime minister. That's a problem. Am I going to change that? Am I going to do a Paul Martin and take this guy out? No, I am not. Okay, how do I need to behave if I am not going to take him out? I need to be incredibly respectful. I need to make sure that he is he feels supported. I need to make sure that he feels good when he makes the decision to leave because when he makes the decision to leave, I don't want him shitting down my throat because he could be leaving popular. And if he's leaving popular, I don't want to be the dick that forced him out. I still might win the leadership even if I'm a dick, but I may not win the, the election. So being the prime minister is my goal, then I support this prime minister. Corey, is, and Car- before I get to you, Corey, Carter, would it be fair to say, or am I putting words in your mouth by saying people might overthink this sort of stuff? I think... Like, I find this really fascinating. Like, th- this happens so often, and we see it so nakedly. I think Mark Carney's a great example of it. They 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 measure their words. They, they think about the long-term ramifications of what this could mean down the road uh they think about well is this a change of life so i don't want to be tied to like all the stuff i the calculus i just presented to you that you just railroaded over is it fair to say uh, too often you find politicians or leaders or folks that have ambitions overthinking it yeah it's a simple question do you want to be prime minister yes or no yes okay when would you like to be prime minister the next time or the time after next time okay let's develop the strategy that's developed the strategy. And the strategy, like, for example, I could be working on a strategy right this second, right this second on how to make you, Zane, the next prime minister or premier of Alberta. I could be working on it right now. And the questions I would ask you are, when do you want to be the, 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 the premier of Alberta? Well, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to go after Rachel. Rachel, you know, Rachel and I are very similar, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to upset her. Okay, great. Here's how we're going to come up with the strategy. We're going to position you in municipal politics. So once we're done in municipal politics, we're going to position you. Right now, if, if Mark Carney wants to be the prime minister and, and, and show that he's supporting Justin Trudeau, you know what he should do? He should announce that give, give at, this liberal, at this liberal convention that he's running in Edmonton Center to be the next member of parliament. Corey, finish us off here. Mark Carney, of course, is going to be running uh, in Edmonton Center. I heard it on a podcast. I once thought it was Calgary Center, but I have since realized that Calgary and Edmonton are not the same. Um, yeah, I'm uh, glad I was able to... F- I'm, a real, I'm a real asset to the NDP campaign, by the way, yeah. just so you know. Uh, <laughs> Corey, uh, I heard it on a podcast. He's running. So that's that's a foregone conclusion. Uh, lay it on me. This question of overthinking, is is that what's going on in, in, in how you see folks assessing the political terrain, uh, maybe conflating uh, strategy for what it's not and just overanalyzing certain things? 
Yeah, I think it's always dangerous when you see a candidate's and a prospective candidate's wheels turning. And I think ultimately what you've described to me is is something that is clear. The wheels were turning. He was choosing his answer very judiciously. And that's a dangerous place to be, right? Because that calculation is actually what's going to get you in trouble with the prime minister and his team or the people who don't like the prime minister. And really, you should be thinking about these things more in terms of baseline expectations. And um, yeah, like don't sweat. What a lame campaign it would be if in three years they clip him saying on a television show, mm. yeah, I support the current prime minister. Oh, yeah. What the, fuck, what the fuck's that going to do, right? That is the expected answer. And so when you think about baseline expectations, act amongst, act within them, right? And so, hey, you've got, there's a leader of this party. You're going to this party's convention. Do you support this person? You can say, yeah. That's not a that's not a concern. If you're trying to avoid saying, yeah, you're Mark Carney, you actually have more latitude, as I talked about. But... But to Stephen's point, just be strategic about it. And if if Mark Carney is sitting there with his advisors and saying, yeah, I'm not going to actively take out Justin Trudeau, but I want to signal there's an option. I want to signal I'm available and I don't mind giving him a little bit of a nudge. Then you act one way. And if you're saying, I'm just going to wait my turn and when he's gone, it's my turn. You act a different way. But you don't sit there and try to have your cake and eat it too by supporting, not supporting, because you're just going to piss off everybody doing that. Don't let them see the wheels turn. Act either mm. with intention or act, uh, you know, with reflex, but don't try to do both. Like that's that's a very dangerous mm-hmm. place to be. That's really good advice. And by the way, if Mark Carney is looking for a failure and if he's listening, uh, we were happy to take some of that uh, investment money at the Strategist Podcast. We can be any sort of slush fund. We'll spend it very wisely. <laughs> uh, we're happy to uh, have be part of the tale. Uh, we'll order several hundred lawn signs. Uh, for Hey, can I tell you some, a thought that went through my head? Yeah, yeah lay it on me. You... Lawn signs used to be one-sided, by and large. You know why? Because lawn sign placement used to be a bit different. Or we'd make the little yeah, then we like, figured the out triangle. The and then we, remember then the we triangle? developed the canon. The science was then developed of two-sign lawn <laughs> printing. And then the entire school of thought was born uh, in a... Always lo- perpendicular, but, okay, yeah. Okay, but let's born, break that down. It was born in a lowly... Yeah. Varsity cul-de-sac because is where the science was born. Because printing, <laughs> printing used to be the expensive part, and and now it is the coroplast that's the expensive part. So things change, Corey. Keep up with the times, my friend. Well, hold yeah, on. Cor- so Corey's now back in the wooden stakes. Telling me, yeah. we're in the H frame yeah, world. I miss wooden stakes. They were oh, fun. they were great times. Yeah, they were. Yeah, the cuts on your the hands. The problem with H frames yeah. in the winter is like, oh. well, that's true of everything yeah. in the winter, but. Boy, it can be really tough to get those things out of the ground, even more so than in. Right? Both. Like you're just leaving like metal shards on lawns. Yeah. Good story. Tough stuff. Good story, Corey. That's yeah, really good. Yeah. It's good. <laughs> good story. Uh, metal shards on lawns uh, brought to you by Flare Lines. Uh, Car- Carter, let's uh, move it on to that was that was dark. That why did it need to get so dark? Why? Then? Yeah, that was very <laughs> why. I don't understand. Jesus. Jesus. No. Jesus. Yeah. Also, no, I was whoa. asleep at the switch there. Not, yeah. not, not brought to you. Uh, you know what? <laughs> You've you gotten so very used to Annalise. She has never mentioned our sponsor. Not once. She's not she's our sponsor, a, but yeah, she's just doesn't doesn't really have the relationship with the sponsor that I do. I mean, this is why you got to keep me on. I'm begging for my job here, guys. Uh, let's move on to our next segment. Our next segment, of course, Carter Fox in the hen house. Can we talk oh. about the CRTC? Because the CRTC, CRTC. Good. Hang on. Just let me pull up my notes. Well, Carter, yeah. the CRTC is launching a public consultation on whether to ban Fox News from Canadian Airways. Ooh. After a complaint over incendiary comments made about LGBTQ plus people by Tucker Carlson, now the fired 
Fox host on a March 28th broadcast, so not too long ago, uh, uh, the comments relating to, um, uh, you know, uh, individual uh, transgender people uh, in that sense. Carter, are you in support of the CRTC public consultation um, to potentially ban an entire network? Is that an overreach? Is this the right scope and scale? We've seen the history of Fox News. I don't want to go into it. We've seen the most recent settlement that they had to pay uh, about the, the big lie sort of thing. But Carter, is the scope here an overreach, or is this the right scope to be investigating banning, banning Fox News in Canada? I would have started off with saying we don't ban speech. This is the this is one of the core principles of being Canadian. Being you know we don't ban mm-hmm. speech unless it's hate speech, and you know hate speech has uh, has a carve out in Canadian society. We we do ban hate speech, um, and it turns out it turns out that that's what Fox News does. So. Um, they are the largest purveyor of hate speech in the Western world, I would argue. And as such, I'm not sure they belong, uh, on our, on our public airwaves. So I like the fact that they're doing a hearing. I like the fact that it's going through a hearing process. Um, that feels to me to be about the right, uh, the right way to do this thing, not just to, you know, to have Justin Trudeau's liberals, you know, ban us, but this is, this is. A big question for me and something that, you know, I, I, I'm very off of where I started a few years ago thinking that we could control um, negative outlets and negative speech. And, and I just I just don't think that we can control it anymore. Corey? Yeah, I don't I don't I don't like banning a I don't look forward to, you know, my father in law asking how a VPN gets set up so he can get around the fucking ban and everybody else's parents, too. I would much prefer that our system and our structure change to allow more severe fines and penalties for this, you know, so financial penalties and and then people can make the decisions they make. And if a cable carrier wants to carry Fox News and they're fine with putting up with financial penalties whenever hate speech is aired, then that's one thing. And, uh, you know, let's just make it hurt in different ways that do not entirely shut down the voice. That would be my preference. Hmm. Carter, do you see a future here where this could happen? And 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 what would you be saying if you were one of the progressive political parties? You know, this is going to clearly be something that energizes the right. This is going to clearly be something that energizes those folks. How do political parties, especially those, this is less of a strategy question, more of like a philosophy question around where how you think free speech and the left currently commingle? Because the history here over the last decade has been fascinating. This is very simplistic. But it used to be the left that was defenders of free speech, especially in certain sort of academic contexts. And now we've kind of seen the right kind of grab the free speech mantle. How do political parties on the left, like the liberals or the NDP, deal with this? Or is it as simple as just kind of saying, this is hate speech, this is like misinformation, disinformation, uh, this is isolated to Fox News? How do they avoid getting into a broader conversation on freedom of speech? Um, perhaps where their their viewpoints might not necessarily be um, be aligned, or perhaps too out of touch in, in in this particular case. Yeah, I mean, I think that the way to to do it is to talk literally about free speech. Um, the the thing that's lean into it. The thing you lean into. Yeah, it. the thing that's fascinating about what's happening in the United States is you've got this group uh, that purports to be the freedom, you know, the freedom fighters, right? The the uh, the Fox News is the uh, the the Republicans, the right, and they are the freedom fighters, right? They are fighting for our freedoms. And the way that they are fighting for our freedoms is by banning books, 
and um, mm-hmm. I, you know attacking these freedoms, uh, attacking the the media. You know they're they're big believers in freedom of speech, except for the mainstream media. Um, those fuckers got to go. Um, you know my <laughs> again. I'm <laughs> I'm really struggling with this because, you know, there was a time I wanted, to, you know, I, I, I liked Corey's answer. I'm not going to pick on Corey. That was a good answer. He, he, his uh-huh. answer about uh, financial penalties, that's a solid answer. I am, I have, <laughs> I feel like I've got an existential threat around me all the time about the freedom, uh, uh, the future of our society. And it really colors how I want to respond to these things. I am (laughs) way more fucking worried about this than I want to be, than I think maybe I even should be. Um, But, you know. But but why? 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 Like, what's. uh, Because the United States is on the verge of a civil war. And uh, it strikes me that the way you get to fascism is exactly the way that you're getting the, the, the steps that Ron DeSantis is taking in Florida, you know, could come from uh herbert goring's books you know this is <laughs> uh goring was it goring did i get that right whoever it was i mean he was one of them yeah. you know um the, you're thinking of goebbels goebbels thank you goebbels is the one who was the propagandist and he was the one who who put together the that kind of how-to guide of uh, of propaganda and the how-to guide is what's being done in the united states right now so for us to say for us as the, the left wing, you know, and I, I'm now proudly including myself in it because the right wingers lost their yeah. fucking minds, um, which also now includes uh, Ken Bosenkul, by the way. So uh, the left is, has, has grossly expanded its territory uh, of late. But the uh, for those who don't know Ken, he's, all, he's one of the authors of the Firewall Letter, uh, who's now campaigning against uh, Danielle Smith. At any rate, um, because of this existential threat that I'm feeling about the creeping scope of fascism, um, my answers have changed. And the worst part about it is um, when you start changing your answers, uh, that's not good either. Because the only way to really keep fascism out is to not do anything fascist, uh, which means don't curtail freedom of speech. Corey, is there a simple through line to Carter's point? progressive parties just say this is anti-democratic we're not going to let this and bear the costs because the stakes are too high or is there a lot to lose politically here and i'm making a huge assumption of what the polyev conservatives might do with this story and we can talk about that in a second but i'm making a huge assumption that they will they will go hard uh, against even this consultation but your thought here is there a political win in calling out anti-democratic behavior labeling this as such and suffering the consequences. Mm. You know, I ultimately just think it's like a futile effort. So I, I kind of begin there. Like, you're not going to ban Fox News in any meaningful way. The the people who are problematic about what's on Fox News will still be able to get Fox News. They'll, but is a symbol of it, is a symbol of it mm, useful, you think? Fox symbols. Like, that is nonsense politics. Like, the idea that you would say, we care so much about free speech, we're going to make an example out of somebody, and we don't actually think it will have an effect. We just want to show that we're opposed to their speech. Like, that... I'm 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 troubled by that. I am. I I would actually rather have more meaningful actions and I think mm. there are there are ways that you can penalize people without being so bloody heavy-handed. And, and you know, like here's the thing. It gets into deep into your philosophical views of democracy and government and you talked about 
free speech being the rallying cry of the left had been that, yeah yeah probably. that was that was true in the 60s and 70s for sure literally it was called the free speech movement and it had uh-huh. people on campuses saying you've got to allow civil rights movements and you've got to allow conversations about what it means to be american today and and the turmoil and the racial strife and and you know the social injustice and and we should be able to protest and we should be able to get loud and be angry and have speakers that make you uncomfortable and the general argument was democracy's messy and you need to get these viewpoints out there and you need to fight like hell um, because, you know, peace and quiet's fine, but you find peace and quiet in a cemetery and this is a living democracy and, and you need a certain amount of that rub point. Now, of course, there are lines. And as Canadians, I think we're better at ha- we're better with the gray and saying, let's not be nuts about it. Like, let's get ourselves to the edge of reason and no further. You know, classically in the Constitution, the Charter of Rights is, says, like, you have these, basically these inalienable rights. doesn't say inalienable. Yeah. Uh, up to reasonable limits is yeah. literally the language it says. You know, that's that's such a Canadian answer. And there is a point that is past the line. Is it where Fox News is? Yeah, you could for sure make that case. But there are a lot of ways you can penalize an organization without giving such a clear rallying cry to other people that the government is censoring, so, so which is what I feel this would come down as. I've just been watching highlights of Fox News, uh, specifically Tucker Carlson's program, and he talks about the white replacement theory, uh, theory right? Yeah, he's insane. Yeah, yeah, but it's not just insanity. I mean, sure, he's insane. I agree. We, we all agree that Tucker Carlson's mm-hmm, insane, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it's also racist. Even Fox News now, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. also racist, right? And so... We allow um, on our, because we control, we as society control what goes onto our cable. We don't have any controls on the internet. And you're right, we can't, we can't bar them from being on the internet, but we could bar them from being on our cable. And that's something that we control. And I think that if you do control that, then isn't it in society's interest to say someone who is promoting um, racist hate speech should not be allowed. Should not be availed access to our um, to our communal asset, and our communal asset in this case is is the uh, is the cable waves. That's a that's a totally fair position. I'm mm-hmm. not disputing the logic of hey, we created the CRTC and we created these rules for a reason. My personal preference is for more of like an incentive and penalty based model that allows you to ratchet things up incrementally. And it means that ultimately, if a tough action like we don't want Fox News on cable has to be taken, that action is being taken by Rogers and not by the government of Canada. Like, I I think that's just an easier position uh, for a lot of reasons. And also, it really pulls it back to the issue, right? So what you're going to have is they say they're banning Fox News because of X, but they're really banning Fox News because of Y. That will be the conversation of mm-hmm, every right winger mm-hmm, who comes mm-hmm. in. But it's really tough to do that when it's uh, when you have very specific penalties for very specific violations of rules, right? right? They say they're penalizing Tucker Carlson for his comments on transgender people, but and the fine was for his comments on transgendered people. Like that, that's actually much easier, I think, for a government to to kind of take a strong position on and say, yeah. And and Fox News, if you if if you don't want to become a financial burden to your partners, knock that shit off. I mean, I I just personally believe more in an incentive model and a penalty model than I do government making these decisions um, that have such like blanket ramifications because they are going to be interpreted so wildly. In fairness, it's not the government making these decisions. The CRTC is an arm's length. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. Arm's length. Good luck with that argument. Good good luck. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Carter, let's let's end here because um, 
And I'm going to ask you to do the uncomfortable because that's what we do on the yeah, show. Okay. And you've refused this in the past when something's been beyond the pale for you. But what should the Polyev conservatives do here to, to have maximum political effect? What should the Polyev conservatives do here? Um, to have maximum political effect. To have maximum political effect, I think that it would be fascinating for them to take Corey's argument and say, this is a market problem, not a speech problem. If, if, if the speech is, is, is against our rules, then here is the way that we do it. The, you know, Janet Jackson showed, showed a nipple. The fine was so large, I haven't seen nipples in, in 15 years. Um, Poor guy. You know, like, if that's, if that's the way we want to deal with it. And, and let's be clear, Corey's point, that has been managed super well with a whole bunch of things. The words you're not allowed to say on television have been maintained. We have had no problems with, with you know, now we say effing on TV and stuff like that, which is hilarious. But, um, you know, because, we the, you know, the financial fines are there, they have changed behavior. So let's, if you want to, if, you, if I'm Polyev and I want to win this discussion, then the way I should win it is that the, the, the proper way to deal with this is through a market. And the market is going to, we have very simple rules. Those rules are going to be fines that are imposed by the CRTC. And we don't stand with hate, hate speech, but we do stand with freedom of speech within limits. Financial ways are, are the financial final penalties are the way to deal with those limits. Corey, maximum political effect. Poly F conservatives, what are you doing? Well, I do think you need to pass the reasonable person test. You can't look like you're caping for Fox News. Or if for you want the to, comments made here, that's right. Yeah, or for the comments made. So a, a variant of what Stephen said, which was a variant of what I said, is probably the thing to say. Like, you had so many tools in your toolbox short of taking them off the airwaves. This is such an extreme reaction. And let's be frank, it's an extreme reaction because they were looking for an excuse to take Fox News off the airwaves because Fox News makes this government uncomfortable. It calls this government out on its hypocrisies. It calls this government out on its failures. And that's the real reason Fox News is being taken off the airwaves. And how do I know that? Because if they actually wanted to deal with the problem, they would have dealt with the problem instead of just burying all of Fox's coverage that makes them deeply uncomfortable and hiding it away from Canadians. Carter, I'm going to move it on to our final segment oh. over under in our lightning round. Carter, we do this for you. Thank God. Uh, that last we always do really it for un- you. Un- you know, unpleasant. If we're doing this well, for you're me, love, you're, <laughs> if we're doing this, this for me, yeah. can I just open it up with well, a quick question? Of course you uh, can, the, Carter. The, the Fremantle, Fremantle Hawthorne game. Um, yep. Hawthorne or Fremantle? I'm struggling with this a little bit. Definitely Fremantle, Corey. Trick question. Neither of those are real teams. Uh, both of them are real teams, and Fremantle. I I like the answer. Thank you very much. Yeah, I think Please I think that's Fremantle yeah. is is definitely definitely. And Carter, Stephen Carter, uh, Hillary Rodham Clinton is showing up to the Liberal Convention. Are you in or are you out for Hillary Clinton showing up as a speaker at the Ottawa Liberal Convention happening this weekend? Uh, I'm in. In fact, I made the case that we should go to the Liberal Convention this weekend. You did uh, actually. Yeah, I would have been. We would. We no. would have been. We would have had special episodes it would have been spectacular but um cory reminded me that you two have lives and you can't just pick up and be somewhere so i said well what about annalise also turns out she has a life so um you know i i like it i think that having speakers and and i think hillary rodden clinton is a is a fantastic speaker in or out on clinton hillary uh at the uh, liberal convention cory 
I think I'm out. Uh, I'm a veteran of many liberal conventions. I think often the speakers that I like the least are the the Americans that come in. And, and, and they do that a lot. <laughs> so much. So much. I think we saw you know, the Axelrod one at some oh, point. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You and I both. That's right. We were at that liberal convention together. And I just, I can't. I can't. I can't. You know, it, it's just too much. Why? Think, why? Why? T- tell me more. Is, is it because yeah. you feel like they're borrowing the Democrat lessons too much? Is it like fandom? Like, tell me, tell me why you're out. So it, it, the fandom is a big part of it. The way that all you need to do is have like a connection to a U.S. campaign and, and people are willing to throw out all reason and all playbooks in order to follow it. But the other part is there are Canadian stories and where I think the liberals, where I think political parties in general, actually with the exception of the NDP do a poor job in Canada, is identifying the up and comers at other levels of government and elevating them onto the national stage and giving them the speaking points and giving them the shine. And for sure there are. I'm not pretending that there aren't speakers Uh like that. But there are, I think, more opportunities to build a bit of a feeder system there. The other thing I would say is I'm not opposed to speakers coming from other countries. Let's be real. This is a country of 40 million people in a world of 8 billion. There's a lot we can learn from people elsewhere. And there's a lot of good ideas that can trigger other good ideas here in this country. But, you know, stretch your stretch your brain a little bit more than just picking like one of the most prominent Democrats who ran for president. You know, there's super interesting people you could find. Not just in the United States, not just in the United Kingdom, which is basically the only other place they ever go. But hey, how about, you know, let's talk to some people in France and give them a little bit more profile. Why don't we talk to some people in Africa, in Asia? And I know that the answer is because they're also trying to create a media event that gets the public's attention, and Hillary Clinton will do that. But I just think that media event doesn't matter. And what does matter is you've got all of your faithful, all of your organizers in one room, and you could expose them to really interesting things that will still excite them and will cost you a tenth of what Hillary Clinton's probably cost. That answer just angered me to no end. You want to know why? Good. Why? Because we could have been there. We would have been the fucking celebrities. right here. Right? (laughs) People would have been coming up, taking... We would have had a lineup for photos that would have been longer than fucking Trudeau's. And we're not there because you guys have families. <laughs> I would have, I would have, I would have been the one starting to lock him up. Stephen you know what Carter Corey did today? <laughs> this is- Corey went to the fucking dump today. That's what that's what I, kept well, us from going. We call it the landfill. But he yeah. was he was throwing out all the forward facing lawn signs. He just <laughs> he couldn't figure out how to change their orientation. I was Similar just to- really struggling. <laughs> He's yeah. struggling. Hey Carter, are you in around in CRA holding back tax refunds from people? It says uh, received pandemic benefits by mistake. They said earlier that we would be very flexible for the repayment schedule, but are you in or out on their strategy after a couple years of what I'd call collective CRA generosity to now hold back your tax refund if if you receive pandemic benefits and haven't paid them back? Give me your thoughts on this. I mean, I'm not super stoked on it. I think that there are a lot of people who got pandemic benefits that. Uh, you know, got them and, and then found out they weren't eligible that don't have the money. But on the other hand, you know, it wasn't like these these benefit were super hard to get, right? Like they were easy to get, um, easy to meet the criteria. And if you didn't meet the criteria, then you probably shouldn't be uh, keeping the money. So I, I guess I can I can wrap my head around it. And I think that it's enough time has passed. Corey, in or out on CRA holding back tax refunds. Yeah, for people I, who received the pandemic benefits. I'm out. I'm in on people needing to pay it back if they got it improperly. Um, I, I do think there needs to be kind of like a, 
you know, some sympathy and, and some understanding and there should be pretty broad latitude to wave things down, you know, reduce payments, all of that to deal with individual circumstances. But I'm out on this kind of blanket approach. I understand that when you've paid your taxes and you've overpaid, the idea is you get the money back you've overpaid. And in this situation, you actually owe the government money. So it kind of makes sense on its surface that the government would keep the money. But the reality is the way we all treat tax returns and the way we move through our lives is very different. And Mm. because we have various uh, expenses such as childcare that – that naturally lend to these like big ongoing tax returns. And these tend to come at a time of year when you're paying your CPP and EI, even if you're making like a hundred thousand dollars a year and whatnot, like that money is very useful and it's planned into people's budgets. And I just think that rather than taking this, this approach, I truly believe if there were errors along these lines, every one of these should be bespoke payment plans and the government should just kind of carve it out and not worry about it until you have a payment plan. Like if you're dodging the CRA, Talk to me in a year about that. But if you are just, if you can work out with the CRA, okay, over the next three years, I will pay you X number of dollars a month or whatever, then I think that's a much more humane way to deal with this particular challenge. Corey, final question. I'm going to start with you on this. The strike is over. PSAC and the government, This we, we talked extensively about this on strategy. There was no yeah. advertising. It didn't ramp up there. It's settled. It's settled just above, if I'm not mistaken, I don't have the number in front of me, just above the 9% mark that you were mentioning. I think it was like 11. 11-ish, yeah, yeah, uh, percentage points. You said there'd be no clear winners, Corey. Let me ask you for a reassessment here. Was there a clear winner when the dust settled last week? Absolutely not. No. I. You know what? Because at the end of the day, they still missed work and that's going to be expensive and it's tough to make that back over like the 2% that you find. Like we talked about this, you miss a week, you miss 2% of your paycheck you get an additional 2%. Like it, like the math, it's so hard to make the money back on these particular things and the ill will that's there and the animosity and frankly, the weakening of the union and its position here uh, with many members, not all members, but many members will feel it's a bit weakened. That's a natural consequence of a strike, but on the way out, you want to get, get more. Now, I mean, I guess good on them for coming to terms. Everybody there, I'm glad, but... Uh, yeah, I just I, there's clearly there's no clear cut winner in my view, so I guess there's no winner. Sheesh. Carter, you seem to disagree. Lay it on us, Carter. Final answer of the pod. The government won. The government won. The government came out looking like heroes. Like, look at this. They got it done. Oh my god, they got it done. No one thought it could get done. They got it done. The government won. The government won because this thing could have dragged on for quite some time. It could have been really messy. And did they win, not. even if this may have set a precedent for future negotiations? Was you this think a short it's like a lead table kind of problem? I mean, but that's not, you, you never have to worry about that because apparently you think that uh, Pierre Paul, this is Pierre Polyev's problem. So don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Well, that's you're, not you're a, that's not true. There's a lot of collective it's, agreements. It's, it'll be yeah. Mark Carney's problem. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, you know what? <laughs> he took the advice on the pod. This is been yeah. Mark I mean, problem. this is this is though the nature of government, and that is to survive the day. And this government not only survived the day, I think that they were thriving. So good great, for the government. Great campaign slogan: survive the day. That is, believe me, that is the unofficial slogan in the premier's office. At least this premier. We are. <laughs> We're going to leave it there. That's a wrap on episode 1058 of The Strategist. My name is Zane Felger. With me, as always, Stephen Carter, Corey Hogan, and we will see you next time. Next time.